I, I turned around, uh, the, the reason why I kind of fumbled the liturgy there is because I turned around, there's, there's a lot of people here today. <laughs> um, so welcome, uh, so glad that you're here with us. Uh, so last week and this, this week are, uh, have been a bit heavy and, and full for our congregation, both for good reasons and challenging reasons. Uh, this week we've got two weddings uh, in the same week, so we're really excited to, to celebrate that. Um, yeah, <laughs> really delighted about that. Uh, we had a men's retreat last weekend, and that was a delight, a lot of fun. Um, but it's, it's also been heavy. Um, a, a member of ours, Erin Brown, her mother passed away, uh, so we'll have some, some time for prayer. Uh, she passed away um, just a little bit ago, and um, so we'll be lifting that up. And then also, as, as you've most likely been following the news and whatnot, um, our, our hearts are just broken over what's happening in the Holy Land right now. Um, we had a prayer vigil here uh, on Wednesday uh, of, of last week. Uh, we still have a, a bunch of the bulletins from that. So uh, if, if, if you're like me, uh, it, it's really hard to find the right words to pray in these kinds of moments. Uh, you know, we, we open up the news and we just see the devastation. We, we hear these things and it just breaks our hearts and strikes us speechless. We see these atrocities committed. Uh, so oftentimes in these moments, it's, it's really good to lean on the, the prayers of the church, uh, to lean on these, these liturgies that have been handed down faithfully and have, um, to us, by our spiritual mothers and fathers, um, people who have been sustained, sustained themselves by these things. Um, so grab, grab one of those if you want um, um, before you leave today. Um, and on that note, let's, let's pray for, for peace in the world. Eternal God, in whose perfect kingdom no sword is drawn but the sword of righteousness, no strength known but the strength of love, so mightily spread abroad your spirit that all people may be gathered under the banner of the Prince of Peace, to whom be dominion and glory, now and forever. Amen. So if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know that we've been preaching through the lectionaries, or the, the preaching schedule, uh, we call it a lectionary, of uh, passages, in uh, the, particularly the, the ones from Philippians. And it's just, it's interesting to me how often the church calendar and the lectionary lines up with what's going on in our world or even what's going on in our local community. I mean, this just, we can give you examples of this, uh, example after example over these last couple of years. Um, in this passage from Philippians, uh, a, a theme, sort of a, a centerpiece of it, is the peace of God. So it's, it's interesting to me that, you know, I, I feel overwhelmed when I think about all, uh, everything that's going on in this world, especially as you think about nations kind of lining up, you know, behind, uh, picking sides in this uh, present conflict and sort of lining up behind their respective sides, you know, and then to come across this theme of peace, um, it, it, I, don't know, I don't have the resources to explain what's happening, or I don't, I don't have the abilities or the wisdom to explain these things. Um, but we worship a big God, and the nations are in his hands. And the Holy Scriptures prepare us for these things and give us words on how to discuss these things. And so I'm comforted by this word that we have this morning. So we're going to be looking at, at this letter, at this portion, at this theme of peace. Um, and what we'll see here is that the church in Philippi is also in trouble. 
Now, often, obviously, it's a different kind of trouble than what we're seeing unfolding right now in the Holy Lands, but there is trouble that's facing this congregation. And so, St. Paul has, he's charging them, he's encouraging them to focus on the peace of God. Now, what do I mean when I say that they're in trouble? Well, if we were to kind of do a quick survey and kind of flip back through Philippians, there's, uh, we would see some of these dangers that Paul is pointing out. He says that there's false teachers that are in their midst. He says, look out for the dogs, a very offensive phrase. Look out for the dogs who want to mutilate your flesh and corrupt the teachings of Jesus. Elsewhere, he warns against the surrounding culture. He says, you are in the middle of a crooked and twisted generation. May you shine as lights in a dark world. Elsewhere, he says, he warns them against those who straight up hate Jesus and are seeking to destroy the church. He says, Paul, he says, beware the enemies of the cross of Christ. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So there is a spiritual battle that's unfolding from this, uh, it, 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 for this church. And so how does Paul equip the church in this moment? How does he encourage them? What does he call them to in this moment? Well, also, if we were to do another survey through this book, we would see a lot of calls for unity. In one verse, he says, stand firm in one spirit. Elsewhere, he says, be of one mind, striving side by side for the faith. He says, Let not only, or look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Be in full accord and of one mind, he says. You see, what Paul knows is that a united church can face the world without retreating. A united family of God experiences the peace of God. Because a united family of God, we're, we, as those who've been reconciled with Christ and now reconciled with one another, we're united by Christ. And in that, we can experience the peace of God. Actual peace, prophetic peace, powerful peace, personal peace. So what about here in America? Well, we too, I think it's safe to say, are experiencing various forms of spiritual battles. There's b- bizarre corruptions of Jesus' teaching that kind of circulate among the American church. Paul's label of a crooked and twisted generation, does that apply these days? I think the answer is yes. <laughs> There's even those who hate Jesus and are seeking to destroy the church. And so today I want us to focus on the peace of God that all of us have access to through Jesus Christ. Peace that is supernatural. Peace that guards us. Peace that powerfully faces the trials and the wars of this world. Not to say that we're not harmed by them, but we can face them with confidence that Christ is with us. We're in need of this in the Holy Land. We're in need of this in America. We're in need of this in Minneapolis. I'm in need of this in my own heart. So there's three aspects of peace that I want us to draw from this passage. So let's dive in. So Paul says in verse 7, he says the peace of, he references the peace of God which passes all understanding. Now that doesn't mean that the peace is somehow unintelligible or it doesn't mean that it's incomprehensible. It doesn't mean that we can't totally wrap our minds around it, although yes, it is mysterious. What he's saying is that the peace of God, it's, it's otherworldly. It can't be explained by the natural events or philosophies or ideas of this world. The peace of God is divine. It's, it's heavenly. It has its source from God our Father. The, God, the, the peace that we experience from God is different than worldly peace. 
You know, the, when the world tries to define, and we could, I almost thought about running through various themes of the Bible and kind of the, the world's attempt to define these things. I, I'll, I'll spare you that uh, for another day. Um, but the, the world's definition of peace is so empty. It, it leaves us still hungry for more. It's, it's so shallow. It's, it's as if the world's definition of peace is simply a, an absence of conflict. Or you might hear someone say, oh, can I just get some peace and quiet around here? As, as if peace is just sort of this like, uh, state of mind, this sort of like calmness or silence or something like that. One scholar says that detached from the Bible, the word peace is like a spiritual marshmallow, <laughs> full of softness and sweetness, but without much substance. I like marshmallows, so I take offense at that. Um, so what is the substance that's missing from the, defini- the, from the word peace? Some of you might know this, that the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. Uh, also in the Hebrew, uh, a similar word that, that uh, is, is uh, sometimes translated in our English Bibles as wholeness, which happens to be a value of our church here at Restoration, by the way. But wholeness, what does wholeness and peace have to do with each other? Well, biblical peace is not just an absence of conflict, it's, it's the abundance of God's presence. Shalom, peace, is the abundance of, of God's rule and his order. It's, it's him establishing order in this world, kind of like establishing a trellis so that the, the vine of our, our, our life can, can grow upon it and bear much great fruit. That's what peace is. It's not just the absence of something, it's the presence of God. It's the presence of his, his life-giving spirit. The Bible uses a lot of metaphors uh, to describe this. Sometimes the Bible describes peace as a garden. We see this both in Genesis and also in Revelation. The garden of peace, where the head of the serpent has been crushed, where we can now walk in the garden barefoot, without fear of being struck, without fear of being tricked. Thorns and thistles are pruned away, weeds are gathered up and burned in the fire so that beautiful flowers and lush vegetation can grow in abundance. Sometimes God's peace is regularly described as a wedding feast, which is what we heard in this morning's reading from Matthew's gospel. And the reason why that gospel is so kind of scary and spicy is it's demonstrating to us God's passion for peace. He doesn't want his party to to have any... uh, (laughs) It doesn't want it to be disrupted by, by anyone who's a threat to the party. He wants peace to reign there. And so those who don't belong, he removes so that the poor can come in, so that the hungry can come in, the starving can come in. And Jesus himself prophetically embodies this peace wherever he goes. When he creates these these parties, these feasts with tax collectors and prostitutes and other deplorables of society, God wants at his feast, in, in his feast of peace, He wants guests to come in and to break open the wine, to prepare the finest meat, to sing and dance and tell jokes, to celebrate stories of of sacrifice and adventure and victory. This is what peace is about. It's it's, It's joy. The peace of God is prophetic. That is what we see from this passage. It's beyond understanding. The world can't point to it. It has a prophetic glimpse to it. It has a prophetic imagination. You see, as Christians who've been baptized by, uh, in, in the waters of Christ, we now have the mind of Christ. Our imaginations are shaped by Christ. We can look into the future that, that God 
promises us. And we can prophetically point to that so that when we experience peace in the here and now, we can say, this is just a taste of it. Get ready, buckle up, because we are about to step into the peace of all creation. So when you taste peace of God here, you're getting a foretaste of heaven. My first point is that peace is prophetic. So, uh, a, a story that, um, a, a, just kind of a, a personal story that happened a few years ago. This doesn't involve anyone at Restoration. Um, I, I had this dear friend several years ago um, who was making some really unfortunate, uh, unhealthy decisions in his life. And you know when you have someone who's just dear to you and you, you start to see this path that they're going on, like your, your palms just get sweaty because you, you, you can kind of see where this is going. And you, you don't know necessarily how to talk to them about this. So I, I wanted to bring it up, um, but I knew that he would probably take it quite personally. So I went to my pastor, I, I went to my friends, I went to my family, and I said, please pray for this. Um, this is going to be difficult. Um, and then sure enough, when I had the conversation with this friend, the conversation went really south, really quick. Um, I had hoped for the best, but uh, that, that unfortunately didn't happen. Uh, he got mad, uh, he lashed out at me, said a lot of hurtful things. Um, now, in that moment, and I don't have these kinds of experiences, like I don't mean to say that like, this is common for me, um, but in that moment, I, I felt as if the Lord had placed a shield over my heart. And I couldn't see it. It's, it's not like I looked down and was like, oh, look, there's a shield there. But I, I felt like with the... <laughs> maybe this sounds cheesy, but with like the eyes of my spirit, I felt like I could see this, this solid shield, this silver, uh, glowing, kind of blue shield over my heart. And it was just this calming presence over me. And that's not to say that the words didn't hurt. They hurt. If you've ever held a shield before and someone's maybe bumped up against it or something struck it, you still feel the reverberation of it. But the arrows did not break the shield. The arrows didn't pierce my skin. The arrows didn't pierce my heart because God was protecting me. Now, I've been in other situations and I haven't had those kinds of supernatural visions or whatever you would want to call it. And, you know, but, but I've remembered that moment and I've gone back to it and I pulled from it. And so I share that with you because uh, we, we share faith with one another. So if that encourages you, praise the Lord. May you draw from that. But the reason why I share that also is because your heart is precious to God. It is precious to God, and he guards it. In verse 7, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds, and I know that that verse is true. I've seen it, and you can pull from that. God wants to protect your heart because that is where he lives. That is his domain. He is present within you, and so he wants to, to protect that from the arrows of the enemy. Somewhere, that, or in other places, the Bible says that your body is a temple of the living God. That is a place where spiritual work happens. This is a place where, where God is at work in your heart, transforming you more into the likeness of his son. And so God's desire, God's peace, is protection. Various Christian traditions will argue about God's presence uh, at, at the table. Um, if that's a surprise to you, I'm sorry to break it to you. Christians will argue about these things. Um, we could probably break into camps right now and have arguments about that. Um, Christians love to debate about these things. But on this thing, every Christian tr tradition agrees. God is present in the heart of his people. 
He is present there, and you are precious to him. You belong to him, and he will protect you. He wants to protect your heart. He is with you. He is for you. God's peace is protection. So in verse 7, I know I'm spending a lot of time on verse 7. We'll, we'll just say this is a sermon on verse 7. How about that? Um, Paul refers to the peace of God, but then in verse 9, he refers to the God of peace. So the peace of God and the God of peace. Isn't that interesting that he flips those words there? I wish I could claim that I noticed that myself, but I, I had to read a fancy commentary to learn that. But what I see in here is that there is an association between God and peace. I think that it's deeply intimate to God's character. It's, it's true to his nature. He loves peace. He's passionate about pursuing peace. Peace isn't just kind of a side hobby of God's. It's not like he gets home from a hard day of work and he's just like, all right, let's see what's going on over here with the whole peace thing, you know, and he kind of checks into that. No, he is passionate about this. It's his entire being. It's in God's nature to desire peace itself. After his resurrection, Jesus, he visits the disciples who are locked up in a room. Do you remember this? They're, they're locked up. They're afraid that the, the way in which Jesus was killed, they think that's going to happen to them next. And so they, they go back into a room. They lock themselves up. And, but then Jesus, the resurrected Christ, appears to them. Do you remember what he says to them, the first thing out of his mouth? What does he say? Peace be with you, yes. And then he repeats it again. He says it again because they're kind of struck by this. He's like, peace be with you. And then what happens? He, he shows them his hands and his side. He shows them his wounds. It's as if we see here that his victory upon the cross is what secures for us peace. We look to his wounds and we know the price has been paid. We now have peace with God himself he can stand in front of us and say, my peace I give to you because of his wounds. Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul, in, in another letter to the Ephesians, he says, Jesus himself is our peace. He says, in Christ Jesus, you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of the, Christ, by the, blood of the cross, for he himself, that is Jesus, is our peace. Where am I going with this? God's peace is a person. Jesus Christ our Lord. It's, he's a person. The, the more that you get to know Jesus, the more you get to know peace itself. He is the embodiment of peace. To know Jesus Christ is to receive the peace of God. It's to know that by his cross, your sins have been forgiven, and so you can be reconciled to God. You have nothing to fear from God because he accepts you. You have his peace. To know Jesus Christ is to be brought into his household of peace and to enjoy peace with, his, with your brothers and sisters, to sit at his table and to be nourished by him. God's peace is prophetic. God's peace is protection. God's peace is a person. So where do you need peace in your life? What spiritual battles are you facing right now? What conflict do you see yourself in? Maybe it's a conflict in your family, a conflict in your workplace, Maybe in this church, maybe in your neighborhood. Where do you have conflict in your life? Would you ask God to experience peace in that moment? Would you ask God to receive wisdom so that you can walk as an icon of peace in that moment? As an embodiment, as a, as a reflection of, of Christ himself? 
in our service every single Sunday. After you receive communion, we have prayer ministers available in the back. And they, they will pray with you confidentially. They will pray with you privately. They will pray with you boldly for these kinds of things. How can you experience peace in your life? Because we have a responsibility in those moments. God has placed you purposefully in those moments. He doesn't promise that we're going to have a a carefree, pain-free kind of life. No, we know that we're going to experience suffering in this world. He's placed you in that moment so that you can represent him. So that you can be a reminder to the world of the peace of God that is available to us through his son, Jesus Christ. That's a tall order. That's a high responsibility that we all bear. And I don't know about you, but I can't do that by myself. I don't have the energy, the enthusiasm, the wisdom, or sometimes even the heart to carry that out on my own. But I worship a God who is big, whose heart is big, whose hand is gentle, whose wisdom is pure, who's always available, whose love is warm. He is always there to encourage us, to be with us, to give us his grace, to feed us with his own presence God himself dwells within us. He is your companion and your protection. And by his grace, he gives us his divine peace. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, this is a broken world. We see it it fracturing across the globe in our own city and even through our own hearts, Lord Jesus. We are a conflicted people. We are a people filled with conflict, Lord. So may you please pour your spirit out upon us, the spirit of your son, Jesus Christ, that we might be people of peace so that we can experience your presence here among us at restoration, but also, Lord, so that we can be emblems of, or icons of, of your presence to those around us, that we can point them to a future day, Lord, in which you will reconcile all things and all wars will cease and all tears will be wiped away because you are the God of peace. God, you have made of one blood all peoples of the earth and you sent your blessed son to preach peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. Grant that people everywhere may seek after you and find you. Bring the nations into your fold. Pour out your spirit upon all flesh and hasten the coming of your kingdom. By the name that is above all names, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.